Blog Talk Radio. Uh oh, guess what day it is? Julie. Huh? Julie. Huh? Guess what day it is? Guess what day it is? Guess what day it is? <laughs> Anybody? Anybody? Mike, 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 Mike. Huh? What day is it, Mike? Huh? Woohoo! Listen, guess what today is? Listen, guess what today is? It's hump day. Hump day! Woohoo! <laughs> it's hump day. Hump day! Woohoo! <laughs> Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Donaldson Files. It is Wednesday. It's hump day. And it is the Resistance Wednesday. Uh, where the Donaldson Files devotes itself every Wednesday to the resistance to the upcoming Biden administration and the and all of the socialist and Marxist ideas that will be promoted be, by him. And in addition, Dr. Larry is going to have his show, The Resistance Hour, with Dr. Larry and Tom. So it's Resistance Wednesday. And tonight we're going to have as our guest, a, you know, a gentleman who I – who I've long since admired. He's one of the writers for PowerlineBlog.org, and he is also the president of the Center for American Experiment, which, in my view, is fastly becoming one of the top think tanks in the United States. Uh, and so, John, uh, welcome to the show. Hi, Tom. Glad to be with you. First of all, before we go any further, you know, I kind of tell everybody very briefly, and we will kind of. Uh, about the Center for American Experiment? Well, we are a state-based uh, policy organization located uh, in Minnesota. We are conservative, free market-oriented, and we do all kinds of stuff. We cover really the whole range of issues that are of concern uh, to state government, taxes, spending, uh, health care, education, transportation, energy and natural resources, and, and we write papers like 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 other think tanks. What's a little different about us is that we're a lot more activist than most policy organizations. Uh, we we do a very extensive outreach campaign. We reach Minnesotans with every medium, from billboards, you know, to uh, radio ads, to uh, internet videos, and and uh, social media, uh, tens of millions of times uh, every year, and. Um, and and so we our, our mission is kind of twofold. In the long term, we we try to educate Minnesotans, the public generally, but focused on Minnesota, in uh, conservative principles. We have a quarterly magazine called Thinking Minnesota, which has got a circulation of about a hundred thousand, and uh, all kinds of great content. And we do a lot of things, you know, programs uh, of various kinds, uh, forums, uh, big annual dinner, all kinds of things to promote conservative ideas generally. And then the second thing that we do is that we run campaigns on specific immediate topics of of interest. So, for example, right now we're running a campaign against uh, our governor's uh, uh, COVID shutdowns called COVID Common Sense. We've gotten 60,000 letters sent to the governor and to legislators uh, asking for an end to the shutdown. And we're running a campaign to expose and and drive public opposition to a new set of social studies standards being developed by our 
far-left administration, the Department of Education. And listen to this, Tom. The first draft of these new standards for K-12 education in social studies, they drop World War I. They drop World War II. They drop the Holocaust. They drop 9-11. There is no mention of George Washington or Thomas Jefferson. Well, you may ask, what the heck do they teach? <laughs> or what, what are they proposing that we should teach? And it is all, it's unbelievable. It's all about LGBTQT, whatever it is. And it's all about Indians. Enormous, you know, on and on and on about stealing the land from the Indians. And uh, hmm. it's really an astonishing document of white supremacy, all this stuff, you know. So, so uh, in just a week, we have gotten the, the, the comment period opened and, and now is closed. And uh, 83% of all the comments that were submitted by the public were generated by our website and our social media campaign, RaiseOurStandardsMN.com is the website. So thousands of Minnesotans yeah. uh, being educated on what's going on here and motivated to uh, to try to block and, and and change you know these proposed new standards yeah, yeah like i said we're i want to get more and more into what you guys are doing uh, as we progress with the show because i think that and i made this comment last week is that a lot of our think tanks our conservative think tank it's almost as if they're caught in the time warp of the reagan years and they've not necessarily come to grips with, let's say, what America is today or what the coalition is today. And you guys, I thought, have done a great job, and I'm going to talk more about it because your project on mining, you have a project dealing with, uh, you know, how, you know, get an economy that works for, let's say, high school graduates who maybe right. not quite college graduates. And the kinds of and – you, and you promoted the idea, hey, there's plenty of economic opportunity jobs available where you don't need a college degree and you can make a good living. And I think these are the kinds of things that, you know, conservatives got to start thinking about. You know, well, I agree with we you, Tom. Pre- I mean, we, have, we have been very aggressive in promoting the development of, of mineral resources in Minnesota. We have the biggest untapped mineral resources anywhere in the world. You know, an unbelievable volume of, of, uh, yeah. of, of all kinds of minerals, you know, copper and nickel and titanium and, and, and a variety of things that's just lying there in the ground uh, because our government can't, um, you know, can't get past the environmentalist extremists uh, who, who block all development. Yeah. I don't know, because we had Isaac Gore and John Pelham on the show a couple of weeks ago, and, you know, Isaac uh, talked to him kind of a lot about that. And I thought, you know, he did a pretty good job of explaining it. And, and like I said, we want, I want to get more into that, but I do want to start – with the tech censorship, because I think this, it, you know, I, I, my view is in America, when fascism comes, it's not going to be, you know, goose-stepping morons who wear funny little uniforms and funny mustache, but it'll be bureaucrats and administrative dressed in Brooks Brothers suits essentially telling you how to live your life and what you're going to do, what's acceptable, what's not acceptable, with a feudal ob- oligarchy paying for the best legislature that money can buy for their benefits and distribute the wealth to the administrative state. And and certainly we are seeing the beginning to me of that, what I call that kind of fascism. 
you know, the administrative state and the Brooks Brothers suits with the oligarchies, the tech oligarchy and censorship. And maybe well, the that's right. I mean, you know, fascism, you. fascism is and always has been a movement of the left. You know, it's all about big government yeah. and it's all about uh, the powerful uh, scooping up uh, goodies at the expense of the rest of us. Yeah, these days, of course, who are the powerful? Well, the powerful are uh, Mark Zuckerberg and uh, Tim Cook, the president of uh, Apple, and uh, you know all these uh, Jack Dorsey, all these tech oligarchs who, amazingly enough, Jeff Bezos, amazingly enough, have carved out monopoly niches for themselves, and they are making unbelievable amounts of money, and they have really escaped scrutiny. You know, back in the in the late 19th century, the beginning of the 20th century, when there was, you know, a railroad monopoly, for example, uh, people got concerned about that, and and it got it got scrutinized, and eventually the antitrust laws uh, got enacted. But so far, these these tech oligarchs uh, have really escaped serious scrutiny. I, for one, Tom, think that is now going to change. I think they've gone too far. The censorship they're now engaging in, you know, the headline. Is uh, is Twitter banning the sitting president of the United States, which is just absurd? But that's not the end of it. You know, there, there's a lot more censorship than that going on, um, not only of, of individuals but also issues. You know, what you can say about the climate, for example, is censored on on Facebook, and um, and, and people don't like that. You know, I, I think we're going to see now a real pushback against the, the censorship that these oligarchs are imposing on the rest of us. Yeah. You know, the interesting thing, I don't know if you've ever followed uh, uh, Joel Cochran. I think is one of those very interesting individuals because he's not a Republican. He doesn't, doesn't love Trump, but he's one of those guys, you listen to what, he, you know, what he's written over the years, he's been on top of this for years. Uh, you know, writing about what he called the new feudalism and the oligarchies and how much power they're going to exercise. And one of the points, I think one point he once made, he said, you know, you know I, I just looked at Facebook. The total employee numbers of Facebook is like 35,000. The auto industry is like 2 million. And you go back to these, uh, you know, to the monopolist of the late 20th century, say what you want to say. They at least produce some goods in a high number of employees. I mean, you can't even say that. Maybe the exception to me would be Amazon which pretty much should have a pretty high employee, but, you know, Twitter, Facebook, you know, the number of employees that they actually produce, you know, the jobs they actually produce are minimal comparatively to, like, the auto industry even today. Well, I just yeah. wish that yep. so many jobs weren't engaged in censoring other people's content. That's what bothers me, you know. Yeah. Uh, and and we're, But we're seeing that from all these people. And, and you know, the most amazing instance – uh, Tom was when it, it really looks as if several of these companies ganged up to try to put Parler out of business. You know, Parler is a competitor of Twitter, not a competitor of Amazon. But Amazon, you know, the, the, where Amazon makes most of its money is on is on web hosting services. You know, that's that's really where they make their money. And uh, they were hosting uh, the Parler, and they kicked them off. Why? I mean, it's unbelievable to me. They kicked them off, uh, and, and, and I think there's a good argument that, that several of these companies, those two and, and, and probably others, uh, conspired against Parler because Parler is a conservative-oriented uh, alternative to Twitter. 
uh, Parler has sued Amazon, uh, alleging breach of contract as well as antitrust violations. And I think they may have a, a good old-fashioned Section 1 uh, combination and restraint of trade claim, not just against Amazon, but but if it's true that Amazon and Twitter and maybe others uh, did this uh, in in concert, uh, they're in real trouble. Yeah, hold on to that. This is Tom Donaldson here on the Donaldson Files with John Hinderwacker. And Dr. Larry Federa is going to uh, is listening in on the show. We may have bring him in as well. And this is Dr. Larry Federa, host of the Dr. Larry Show on the Bachelor News Radio Network, inviting you to listen live every Wednesday evening from 7 to 8 p.m. Eastern Time at BlogTalkRadio.com and the podcast every Monday through Saturday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time at TheBachelorNews.Airtime.Pro. I am called the philosopher of current events, an independent, open-minded conservative with my own ideas. If you are interested in advertising or having your own show, email us at labachelor40 at gmail.com. And also, we do have a website. It is thebachelornewsradionetwork.com. And you can listen. And if you don't catch the show live, you can go back. And a week from now, this show should be on the website for you to listen to at your convenience and for you to pass around to friends, relatives, and simply say, uh, what a great show it is. Uh, all right, before, here's, uh, there's one question I want to ask you. One of the things, uh, this was done before, let's say, the Facebook and all this came through. It was at the, you know, I think it was in the 1990s where you had Section 230. And people hear a lot about Section 230. Uh, explain to the audience what that is and what it means. Well, Section 230 does a couple of things. The, the, the basic purpose of Section 230 is to um, treat uh, what's called interactive computer services, and that would include all the social media companies that we're now focused on. And, and it preserves them from liability. It protects them from liability as publishers. And, and, and what it says is that, that no provider of interactive computer services will be treated as the publisher or speaker of any information provided by somebody else. And so, what, so that protects them. So it's, it's kind of like the phone company. You know, if you and I conspire to commit a crime over the telephone, you know, they can't go after the phone company. We're just, you know, they, they're not responsible, Right. And so the idea was that, that these um, service providers would be treated kind of like ISPs, Internet Service Providers. You know, so if you upload uh, instructions on how to make uh, poison gas you know, to a website, you know, nobody can go after your ISP. They're not responsible to monitor your content, in other words. And so that, that's really the principal um, uh, purpose of, of Section 230. And, 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 of course, the problem is that these social media companies want to have their cake and eat it, too. On the one hand, they want to be protected as li- from liability because, hey, we're not responsible for anything anybody says on our site or does on our site. On the other hand, they say, well, for the, for the sake of user experience, we have to moderate the content on our site. And those two positions are completely inconsistent. Now, the problem is, in this context, that there's another – uh, the, the next provision of Section 230 says that um, interactive computer service providers are immune 
for any action voluntarily taken in good faith to restrict access uh, to material that the provider considers to be obscene, lewd, lascivious, filthy, excessively violent, harassing, or otherwise objectionable, whether or not such material is constitutionally protected. So basically, these, these, these uh, tech companies are classifying conservative thought, ideas, uh, commentary in, in those categories. I've seen lewd, lascivious, filthy, excessively violent, harassing, or otherwise objectionable. And uh, I, I don't think that's, a, that's an interpretation they ultimately can get away with. But, but, you know, we conservatives have got to force the issue. Well, let me ask you, what can – I mean, here's the thing. Is there you – know, if you're in viola- – I mean, let's put it this way. It, these are contradictions. If Facebook is, in fact, acting as a publisher, can the 230 be removed from them? Okay, okay, Facebook, this is what you're going to do. Uh, you're going to be an editor. You're going to censor uh, Tom Donaldson and John Hinderacker uh, for their conservative thoughts, and you're going to you know, leave this open to just strictly left-wing or strictly certain thoughts are allowed as an, an editor. Can that be removed? Any way possible well, where they but, can but just say that. There, but there's, there, there's, an also, there's another question that's even more fundamental that has to be in the mix, Tom, and that is, uh, as they keep telling us, you know, and as the liberals now keep telling us, hey, these are private companies. They can do anything they want, anything. And, um, and, and you know, the First Amendment does not apply to private companies. That's true. Right. It's not a violation of the First Amendment, um, at least at least not obviously a violation of the First Amendment for Twitter to do something that the federal government obviously couldn't do now. But 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 again, these things get complicated because one of the things going on here, Tom, is that one of the reasons why these tech companies love the Democratic Party is because they know that the Democrats won't subject them to antitrust scrutiny. And so there's a quid pro quo going on here. Uh, companies like Twitter and Facebook and now Amazon are doing the bidding of the Democratic Party by suppressing Republican and conservative speech in the most important venues we have for public speech. And in return, their expectation is that the Biden administration is not going to pursue antitrust enforcement against them. And, and just wait, you know, the Biden administration is going to drop the case, I, I believe, that has already been brought against uh, Facebook by the Trump administration. So, so, you know, there's a lot going on here. So, so if they're suppressing conservative speech and they're doing so in hopes of avoiding antitrust scrutiny, they're really doing the bidding of the Democratic Party. Uh, you know, I'm not so sure that you can't get a First Amendment claim in there somewhere. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. It, monot- essentially, they've become a monopoly. I mean, they at least own like 90% plus of their specific markets. And it would seem to me that, I mean, if you can't get the antitrust, but it, maybe a question. If you're under, to me, I see 230. I mean, my idea of 230 is look. It is specifically designed to open up debate. They're shutting debate down. And no, you're right. The idea, you that's to, right. The idea, you're, you're right. That was the idea of protecting them from liability uh, for, for stuff other people write. No, you're, that was intended to promote vigorous debate. You're right. And if they're in violence, to me, I'm going to put it this way. I, I had a chance to look at it. I'm not, you're, you know, you're a pretty, you're, you're a top notch lawyer. 
and and I'm not a lawyer. I'm looking for this, and I'm saying, well, wait a minute. If the whole idea – and they do say that in the 230. This is what we want. I mean, they're very clear, you know, on that with, you know, very few exceptions like uh, what you're talking about, you know, ludity and and pornography. uh, but the, for the most part, they're very clear about. I mean, they, it's like political thought. Is you know they're really clear on. And it seems you know, to me, if they're invite, yeah, if they're if they're not doing that, uh, you know how can, you know is you know then can Congress say, hey, look, we gave you this for this reason. Now we're well, going to well, here, Here's the thing, Tom. I mean, t- Section Two Thirty. Yeah. The problem is uh, there's a lot of people who have come up with ideas for revising Section 230 to make it more consistent, and nobody foresaw when that was passed that yeah. these social media companies were going to develop the way they did and become yeah. really the public square. I mean, this is how most people express themselves in public, and, and nobody really saw that coming. So, so I think there should be a complete overhaul of Section 230. The problem is there's not going to be an overhaul with the Democrats controlling Congress. So where do you go? So you, you mentioned the fact that these companies are monopolies, and you're right. Their market shares would lead to them being uh, described as monopolies under any conventional antitrust analysis. But there's a problem. Antitrust law, the way it's developed, uh, particularly in the area of monopolization, it never occurred to anybody that somebody would want to be a monopolist for some reason other than raising prices. And, you know, the the antitrust division of the Department of Justice is administered jointly by a head lawyer and a head economist. And, And there's all kinds of standards and rules that have been developed that are all about pricing. You know, and there's there, there's a whole body of law about monopolization, and it all relates to monopoly pricing. And 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 nobody has ever addressed the question of, well, wait a minute, what if somebody wants to be a monopolist for a different reason, a different nefarious reason, like exerting undue political influence? There just isn't anything in existing antitrust law that 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 talks about that. And in my opinion, uh, there could be. The, the antitrust laws are very broadly worded. There, there's nothing in them that specifically says this only applies to pricing. You know, And I think that, that a Supreme Court that had the right majority could very well rule that there are other evils to monopolization other than uh, high prices. And, and there are other ways in which a monopolist can misuse his market power. Uh, which is a term of art in antitrust law. And one of the ways in which a monopolist can misuse his market power is by uh, exerting undue influence in politics. And so, but, but, but that there's a whole, that's, that's a doctrine that at this point does not exist. Well, that's wrong because I see that point. I see where you're going, but it seems to me Congress has already stated in one aspect with section 230, what they Wanted it, wanted to happen when the internet age began. They made it very clear, and and so there is a spirit that you can see, you know, what the old call called spirit of law. And it would seem to me, if you rehaul, to me, if you're going to re, you know, overhaul 230, the first thing I say, okay, we're going to go back to the original 230. This is what we wanted. This is the, the bottom line. If you choose to violate people's private rights. In violation of 230, 
I would think they need to make that much clearer and make that your See, goals here's, here's, and your objectives. I, I, I've got a little different take, Tom. I've got actually an idea. It wasn't my idea originally. It, I got it from a lawyer actually inside the Trump administration, but I think it's worth pursuing. The problem is you just talked about violating somebody's rights. Well, their answer is, no, we're not. We're not the government. There's no First Amendment right that applies to Twitter and Facebook and so forth. And, 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 and they're right about that. So, so one of the things that we've got to do, I think, is, is create rights in people not to be discriminated against on, on the basis of politics. Now, that's not going to happen in a Democratic Congress, but here's what I think we can do. I think that states that are under conservative control, and the Republicans control currently, I think, 31 states, I think a state could pass legislation that would um, – that would that would confer on their residents a right not to be discriminated against on political grounds or ideological grounds on social media. Now you'd have to you'd have to phrase that very carefully. But if but if if a state created that right and then somebody, for example, got bounced off Twitter. I recently got bounced off Twitter, by the way. So so you know if I lived in the right state, maybe I could be a potential a potential plaintiff. Uh, that would that would create a cause of action under state law, not federal law. Um, yeah, hold on, yeah, hold, yeah, hold on, Zach, because I want to follow up on that because I'm thinking right now there are two governors in the back of my mind that I would almost that you you know you should all just call up and say, you know, and we'll talk about those two governors exactly along those lines. This is Tom Donaldson with John Hinderacker here on the Donaldson Files. I never get the flu. My kids don't need more shots. I'm not time. We're all healthy. My asthma's under control. I'm pregnant. I've had the flu. It's not a big deal. My kids are too old the for flu. The media is exaggerated. I can fight it naturally. No matter how you build your excuses, the flu can blow your house down. Keep your foundation strong. Vaccinate. Learn more at flu.gov. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. Since Buffalo Wild Wings is always open late, here are a few things you'll enjoy. Buzzer beaters, wings in 21 signature sauces and seasonings, and great deals on food and beer. Grab select domestic draft beers starting at $4. $4 shareables like street tacos, fried pickles, chili queso dip, mozzarella sticks, and roasted garlic mushrooms, and deals on select liquor and house cocktails. Phew, that's a mouthful. Catch all of the late night action. Buffalo Wild Wings, wings, beer, sports. Offers and participation vary. Please drink responsibly. Void where prohibited. Yes, uh, this is Tom Donaldson back here on the Donaldson Files here on the Bachelor News Radio Network. If you want to comment on the show, 646-929-0130. 646-929-0130. And we will let you uh, comment if you want to ask uh, John any questions or if you just want to just call in and say, Tom, you're the greatest. You know, that would be nice to yeah, We'll even let you say that. Tom, <laughs> you're the greatest. Yes. <laughs> Okay, Dr. Larry, I got Dr. Yeah, I got Dr. Larry Peter, whose show is coming up next. Uh, we should probably say, ladies and gentlemen, you know, uh, the Dr. Larry show is now going to be renamed to Dr. The Resistance Hour with Dr. Larry and Tom. All right, I'm going to go back to John. I want you to kind of um, uh, because I got two governors. I'm sitting there thinking in the back of my mind would be the perfect two governors who would who I think would push this, if, you know, push this. One is Christy Nome, the other one's Ron DeSantis. 
Well, I won't give away any secrets, Tom, but I'll tell you that I've already reached out to one of those governors uh, promoting this idea. And it's in and, and and there's a handful of states where if they decide to do it, they could just do it. You know, they got they got Republican supermajorities and they'd want to kick the tires and draft the legislation very carefully. But, you know, I would love to see uh, some states start doing this real soon and yeah. maybe inspire a movement, because if we could get 20 or 30 states that had legislation like this, uh, big tech would 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 have to back off on censorship. And here's another thing, Tom. The nation of Poland, you know, God bless Poland. They have adopted a law that imposes fines of up to $2.2 million on uh, social media platforms who censor lawful speech. So, you know, this is a movement no, that no. could be done at the state level. It also could be done internationally. Let me can follow up there. Yeah, can, can I jump okay, in here, Dr. Tom? Larry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go right ahead, Doctor Larry. Uh, I'm just wondering: uh, is, is it not possible? <clears throat> is it not possible that a uh, non-governmental unit could uh, sue these guys for, um, on the basis of uh, uh, of uh, being uh, uh, monopolies and, uh, in other words, going on the antitrust uh, the antitrust basis? It was a have to be the government that would that would initiate such a uh, an action. No, there are there are definitely private causes of action for antitrust violation, and Parler has brought one. You know, Parler is alleging antitrust violations in its its case against uh, against Amazon. The problem is that the harms that the antitrust laws currently recognize are economic harms. So if you're a competitor. Uh, of of a, of, a, of a monopolist or a would-be competitor of a, of a monopolist, you know, depending on the facts, you know, you could have a, a cause of action. If you are a customer who is paying uh, high prices due to a price-fixing scheme, for example, in an industry, well, you've got a cause of action. But but those are those are all, all of the causes of action that have been recognized in the field of antitrust are economic. And and there's never been a case where, where somebody said, I've got an antitrust claim against you as a monopolist because you deprived me of my freedom of speech. I mean, that's just not a recognized category of injury. But there are economic implications. For, for example, uh, Facebook does a lot of advertising, and so does uh, uh, YouTube. Well, yeah, there are economic impl- implications, um, but but you know not in a way that has ever been recognized as a cognizable antitrust claim. I'll give you an example. You know, my organization sponsored a uh, an event where we had Heather McDonald on uh, talking about uh, policing, uh, crime, and race in response to the George Floyd riots and all the hysteria about police brutality. And, and it was a great, great program. It was uh, heavily attended. We promoted it nationwide. And, um, and when it was done, we put it up, we uploaded it to YouTube. And it's gotten 100,000 views on YouTube. But it should have gotten 300,000 views on YouTube. But they censored it. Uh, they age-restricted it. And what that means is that 
if you aren't signed in, if you just go to YouTube to watch videos or you do a search or something, but you haven't signed in, and most people don't sign in, um, then it doesn't know how old you are. So it thinks you may be under 18. So you can't see any age-restricted videos. And if you do a search, they won't show up. And so YouTube deprived us of, I don't know how many hundreds of thousands of views of our video of Heather McDonald uh, by that, you know, discriminatory. And, you know, this is a middle-aged lady, you know, putting up slides to talk about crime statistics, okay? There's nothing about this that's prurient, you know, for 14-year-old boys or something, right? I mean, the age restriction is ridiculous. But they obviously did it, you know, simply so that, most people would, would never be able to see the video. But it's very difficult. Yeah. And I've looked at this. We, we, we're still thinking about, you know, is there a cause of action that we might be able to bring? But it's very difficult, you know, to come up with a viable cause of action against that kind of obvious ideological discrimination. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to kind of follow up to, okay, your idea, and you've mentioned uh, you're in conversation with a governor. Do you – have you put together – a model law for people, for let's say governors to follow. Have you con- have you gotten to that point yet? Where, Not yet. I mean, there's a, know, there's a group nationally that's that's working on this issue. What to do about big tech censorship? And that that day, I think, is going to come because I really like this idea of working through the states. You know, we can bang our heads against the wall in Washington, but we don't control Washington. Yeah, it's not going to happen there, uh, not 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 now anyway. But I like the idea no. of of working through the states. And if enough states do it, it's going to become just unviable, I think, for for the social media platforms to continue um, censorship. Well, okay. let's let's kind of follow up there because here's the other aspect: if the, you know, essentially the Democrats are controlling all lever of power in Washington D.C., and it's not like the uh, the re- Republicans in Congress are going to be vicious fighters against it. I've yet to any evidence that you know that I'm almost seeing evidence that some of them are already putting up the white flags. But you bring up the point of going through the governors in in that capacity. Are there other issues where you can sit back and say, you know, why don't we do this on a state level and push it and have something we can push forward in 2022, 2024? Yeah, I thought my head I can't is there anything else that you could think in those lines? I know a guy that might be interested in helping. His name is Huckabee. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. Well, what I'm thinking is because if you understand what I'm saying is that the governors themselves are going to have to take the leadership role in a lot of these areas. And certainly in the case of Ron DeSantinis and Christianum, you have two people like during the COVID who basically they took the lead. You know, they challenged the status quo. They challenged the the uh, COVID science of Tony Fauci, and for the most part, had proven to be absolutely correct in their analysis. Uh, you know, there's a, there's a handful of states that have got Republican supermajorities, and South Dakota is one of them. And uh, you know, and so, you know, if 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 some people in a state like that, and there's others, you know, uh, decide they want to take action, and 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 there's a viable statute that's been drafted, you know, they could enact it fast. I mean, I, I would like to see some states really take the lead and move on this, because I think it would really uh, set yeah. the uh, tech oligarchs back on their heels. 
And, and don't forget that we're going to, we, the Republicans, are going to take the House in 2022 in all probability. And in my opinion, in all probability, the Republicans are also going to take the Senate in 2022. You know, so, so these tech companies that think they're, you know, everything's, everything's great, their friends, the Democrats, are in power. Well, you know, it's not going to be very long before that is very likely not going to be the case. Okay, let me ask you another question. So I, I just thought of this, but okay. Speaking again, private sector. Uh, you basically are seeing. Okay, I think it was. Uh, I, I'm trying to remember if it was you or Red State. They had an article talking about how the banks were going after fossil fuel companies. That the biggest problem was not so much a lack of resources, but a lack of capital. Where suddenly you got, you know, states or you got companies that just can't get the kind of credit they need to expand uh, infrastructure-wise. Uh, it, it seems to me that's another threat that we're seeing along those lines. Now, using the private sector as the bullywag for the Democratic Party. To, in other words, we're not going to enact these laws, but we'll get the friends in this area to do the dirty work for us. There's a lot of that going on, and it's deeply disturbing. I mean, we're seeing it with banks. We're seeing it with uh, credit card companies. Yeah. They're going after people like the NRA. They're going after firearms companies. A, um, a, a website, a very, very popular firearms-related website, which just in the last couple of days uh, had its Internet registration uh, terminated by, as I understand it, uh, it's prospective, so it hasn't happened yet. By by its registrar, who I think is GoDaddy. At least I read that. Don't don't take my word for it. But I've read that the the registrar is GoDaddy, and because it's a firearms website, uh, the, the this private company has taken it upon itself to send them notice. Hey, we're we're going to terminate your registration of your website. And and this is a this is a really sinister trend. You know these these private companies uh, taking action against. Uh, you know, certain industries or, or certain individuals uh, that are out of favor with the left. Well, yeah, well, let me put it this way. Are we looking at the development of corporatism in such a way? Because obviously, if they're doing this, they're also making deals with the political party that is favoring yes, these actions. Yes, Tom, look, this absolutely, one of the things people have been talking about in the wake of this little mini riot they had in Washington last week, you know, it wasn't one of the top 20 riots of, uh, of the last 12 months, but nevertheless, it got a lot of publicity. Well, a number of big corporations have announced that they're not going to uh, lend any support, you know, to Republicans. Or something, you know, it varies yeah. from case to case. But, you know, basically saying, you know, we won't support any Republicans. Something like and, 40 of them. Yeah. And, and but the thing that a lot of people don't realize is that it's the Democrats that are the party of big business. You know, we all know they're the party of the big tech companies, but it doesn't end there. In fact, the oil and gas industry is maybe the only major industry that tends to lead, you know, where big companies are, are in the industry and they tend to lean Republican. I, 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 you'd have to think really hard to come up with it with another industry that's got big companies uh, that lean to the right. And, and the reason is easy to understand. It's always been true. Big government loves big business and big business loves big government. 
big government loves big business because it is easy to regulate and easy to work hand in glove with, as we've been seeing in some of these recent cases. It's very hard for the government to, to uh, you know, to run um, two thousand banks. But you know, if the banking industry consolidates down to about six. Well, it's very easy for the federal government to, you know, to manage those six banks. And and the six banks like it, too, because the competition is being eliminated. You know, big, big business likes big government because the more regulations there are, the harder it is for new competitors to come along and, and take business away. So it's a natural symbiosis. It's been true. You know, if you go back to the 1930s, you know. The kind of alliance between big government and, and, and big business uh, at that time made mm-hmm. perfect sense, and it still does today. Yeah, hold on, time. This is Tom Donson. Uh, Dr. Larry's joined us uh, with John Hinderacker, the president of the Center for American Experiment. If you want real discussions on politics, social issues, racial issues, and other topics, then tune into the Bachelor News Radio Show. Listen live every Monday and Thursday from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Eastern at blogtalkradio.com. And if you miss the show, you can listen every Monday through Saturday at 8 a.m. and 3 p.m. Eastern and every Sunday at 5 a.m. and 3 p.m. at thebachelornews.airtime.pro. Listen and be informed. And don't forget, we got our up, uh, our new radio, our new website, thebachelornewsradionetwork.com, where you can go back and listen to any of these shows, like this particular show, uh, if you want to get it, you know, listen to it one more time for the information provided here on the Bachelor News Radio Network. And this is the Donaldson Files call six four six nine two nine zero one three zero. If you want to comment on what we're talking about today. And six four six nine two nine zero one three zero. All right, I, I'm going to throw. Like I say, you know, you're very positive on the fact that we are going to win 2022 the House and the Senate. Uh, I'm not as the biggest fear that I have, John, and I'm going to bring in you, Dr. Larry, as well. Is that you know what we're seeing over the next week, and it all depends on how Mitch McConnell handles it. In other words, if a significant number of Republicans, even if they don't vote, you know, Trump out, uh, this could lead to a civil war within the Republican Party. We'd be finding ourselves, and that, in my view, could derail it. And you combine it with the fact that we no longer get the big money. I mean, we get outspent every, you know. You know, we're, oh, the we're last typically election, we got yeah. Oh yeah, we get outspent three to one, four to one, five to one. In every competitive race, it's the Democrats that have got the money. Yeah. And uh, my question is going to be is, though, you know, is there possible, I mean, is this one of those things we, you know, a year from now we will forget about it? Or is this a, a something that, let's say, could simmer if it's not handled correctly by Mitch McConnell? They could lead to, well, let's say, that possible. And I'll start no, with you, uh, John. no, you're you're absolutely right. I mean, I, I'm appalled that ten House Republicans voted to impeach Trump. The whole thing is symbolic. I mean, Trump's leaving office in what five days or something. I mean, well, this is ridiculous. It's absurd. You know, it, it, it's I've drawn the analogy to medieval Europe. You know, in medieval Europe, death did not necessarily 
preserve you from the charge of being a heretic. And occasionally, somebody would be charged with heresy after he was dead, prosecuted, and if he was convicted, they would dig up his body and burn his remains at the stake. Totally symbolic. That's what they're doing with Trump. I mean, it's unbelievable to me. They obviously are not doing anything to advance the interests of the American people. They're just, this is an act of spite, of sheer hatred by the Democrats. And frankly, it reflects the fact that they don't have an agenda. You know, they won the election, but they don't know what the heck to do with it. And so the only thing that they've been running on is, you know, we hate Trump. And the only thing they have to say now that they've won the election is we hate Trump. And uh, I don't think, you know, the idea that 10 Republicans would join in on that, I think, is outrageous. And I trust that the rest of the Republican Party has got enough common sense, you know, not to let Trump after the fact, you know, turn into a, a fault line in the party. I mean, he's got the highest approval rating among Republicans of, I think, anybody within memory. Isn't that right? Yeah, close to it, yeah. Okay, what do you think, Dr. Larry? I think it's a big question. I think um, the issue of uh, the unity of the Republican Party is almost uh, moot because uh, – the people that are the the anti-Trumpers, I don't think um, within the party uh, have any have any leverage or any influence at all. Uh, <clears throat> but whether whether the the what I call the Trump doctrine can survive as a viable political um, uh, position. Uh, I think is is really criti- is 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 really the issue of uh, of, the, of the future here, not only the Republican Party but of the entire republic. Um, yeah. And I, and I and I think that whether or not and, and a lot of that could be influenced by what happens with Mr. Trump. Uh, yeah. If he goes, yeah, if he gets yeah. in disgrace, you know, then this whole thing might just. Uh, uh, might might well it might turn pretty darn ugly. Yeah, well, he, yeah, that's the because I look at this. And I, that's the kind of the biggest fear that I have is on those lines. But I want to kind of touch base. I, I'm going to go back to you, John, because I we started talking about the Center for American Experiment, and I said this last week uh, 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 to George Landreth and. Uh, and, and I know he has a think tank in Washington, D.C. We got talking, and I said, the biggest problem I have that I see right now is I don't see a lot of these think tanks engaging in what I call the practical ideas, in particular ideas that fit the coalition we have, which is blue collar workers, which is rural workers, which is now starting to become, uh, I'll be like 30, a third of Hispanics join us. So, and many of them are introduced, many of them are blue collars. Workers as well. Uh, I mean, we lost a little bit in the suburban side, but even, you know, and, and so my question is, you know, from your observation, am I, am I on the right track? Are we seeing think, you know, as many of these Washington D.C. think tanks not quite where, you know, they need to be when it comes down to ideas and promoting ideas. That is going to be beneficial to our uh, to our coalition. 
you know, I think one of the issues there is that it's it's tough to be effective from Washington. You can write a paper, you can put on a conference, but you're not on the ground. You know, a state organization like mine, we're on the ground. So when there were riots in the city of Minneapolis, big chunks of it went up in flames. You know, we put up, um, I forget, 35, 40 uh, billboards around the Twin Cities, support our police. And we, and we quickly put up a website, you know, supportourpolicemn.com. And, and we got thousands and thousands of people, you know, sending messages to people like the Minneapolis City Council, you know, in support of, in support of our police. Washington think tanks can't really do that. And, and you mentioned rural areas. You know, we, in 2020, despite COVID, which, you know, shut things down for half the year, we put on 25 in-person events in rural Minnesota. You know, we're very active, very active in greater Minnesota. And we're constantly doing things like giving talks to Rotary Clubs and Kiwanis Clubs and things of that sort. You know, mainstream, you know, Main Street, small town America. And so I, I think you're right. I, I think that the Republican Party has changed. I, I, th- I think the coalition has changed. I think we're the party of, of what I call the real economy, and many people call the real economy. And that fits with things like my organization's promotion of, of development of natural resources, in particular mining, which we have here in our state in, in Great Plenty. And it fits with the campaign that we've run to uh, educate people on the great economic opportunities and cultural opportunities that are available without a four-year college degree. You know, the, 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 the terrific jobs out there that blue-collar folks can get and make very, very good money at. So I, I think you're right, I, and, and I think part of it is you really need to be on the ground, you know, where people are and, and in a position to be more activist. Because if all you're doing is producing research and putting on conferences, I think it's just very hard to have much, uh, much impact. Well, I do want to think because I have a foundation, which we do research, and, uh, but we also, let's say I also have a political organization. And I and I and I got in a conversation with a donor, and I said, "Well, a donor, I said, here's the deal. I, my foundation's got one goal: is to produce ideas, studies, a that I could turn to practical campaign issues or practical ideas for Republicans to adapt. In other words, right. I'm not doing this for, you know, you know, I'm I'm doing this for a simple reason: a give you uh, these people an idea." on how best to reach people, uh, or B, simply help me run better campaigns yeah. to win elections. And it's a yep. practice. I mean, and it's, well, yeah. you're in a different and, position, Tom, because uh, Tom, you run a PAC, and, of course, we're a 501c3, and yeah. we don't do elections. There's but there's a very good analogy. No, you make a great point. I'll just give you one quick example. I mentioned earlier these proposed, this, the first draft of the new standards for K-12 through education in Minnesota. Now, we write a lot about education, and you could produce papers about sort of the theory of, of uh, school choice and competition and education and so forth, and we've campaigned for school choice for 30 years in our state. But if you really want to get people engaged and, and get them focused uh, and, and, and achieve something, you know, you need to pick out something like these ridiculous standards. You know, don't teach about World War I or World War II. Teach only about, you know, the 19th century Indians. And, and, and by doing that, you know, that's what really educates people about how far off the track 
our public education system has gone. So, so I think you got to do both. You know, you got to have research, you got to have facts, you yep. got to have data, but you also have got to be putting that information to work in ways that are practical and immediate uh, and effective. Okay, I'm going to th- the other aspect I'm going to come into play here. Yeah, and again, I don't mean to criticize this group because I, you know, you know, to me they've been an institution. But National Review over the past year has been like, you know, there's been they've been schizophrenic. You know, they you know they hate Trump, they hate Biden, you know, but they've not been willing to break with the idea. Listen, you know, let's all become total never Trumpers. But they got never Trumpers on their staff. And this most recent, like, I mean, if you read for the past week, it's like impeach Trump, impeach Trump, impeach Trump. And I asked myself, you know, these are people who live in that Washington, New York corridor. That's where they live. Maybe with the exception, I think Kevin Williams today, you know, I think he lives in Texas. But beyond that, they're all pretty much a part of that corridor. And I always got to wonder a, how much is bubble, that is blinding. Yeah. Well, you know, you live there. And I guess my question, this is one of the reasons why I love living in the Midwest. And I even have a real estate degree where I basically once in a while sell real estate just to put my hands into the real economy. And I just wonder how much of that bubble are we seeing from these groups and organizations or thinkers that they know, you know that they just can't see beyond the bubble. And, it's, and eventually it's going to hurt them. I think it's a huge problem, Tom, a huge problem. I mean, at the national level, you see all these Republicans just cowering, you know, members of the administration resigning. Betsy DeVos, who I I loved, right, as Secretary of Education, and, you know, with with like 10 days to go in her term, you know, in the administration, she resigns, you know, to show her disagreement with, with Trump. And you know, and, and I think these people are really out of touch. I mean, Trump didn't incite violence. He did. I, I actually criticized him for one tweet that he did that I thought was really stupid. But, you know, he and, and I criticized him because, you know, he kept, he tried to keep alive this fantasy that somehow the election was going to get reversed, that he was going to get a second term. You know, he should not have been leading his 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 followers, you know, his voters down that path, because I think any sensible person could see that that just couldn't happen. And I criticized him for that. Okay, that's fine. However, the idea that the speech that he gave on the mall incited violence is just false. Tom, I think you've read that speech. I think you mentioned when we were off yeah. the air. He didn't incite yeah, I, violence. I, I, yeah. That's yeah, a I'm lie. It's, because, a, it's, a, it's a complete yeah. lie. Uh, I, he said, you know, go forward okay. peacefully. You know, make yourselves heard yeah. peacefully. Yeah, because uh, here's because the, the point I'm going to answer that point that you made because I first I never you know I didn't read the speech I didn't hear the speech I just you know somebody called me and said did you see what's going on and then I read Ann Althaus her blog and she basically said here's the list of the seven most controversial I'm sitting there reading I said if this is the most seven most nastiest controversial aspect of his speech, that ain't his speech. I mean, that's not inciting people to write. And oh. I actually read the speech, and I had, a, and I had an associate of mine call me up because he was in Colorado when this happened uh, on in vacation. And he basically said to me, he said, when I'm sitting and reading the New York Times, I noticed one thing that came very clear. They never quoted the speech. 
No, you're absolutely right. I'll never quote the speech because there's nothing there to quote. There's another interesting thing, too, Tom, and I don't know how much to make of this, but, you know, this, this, the people who are descending on the Capitol, they were doing that while Trump was still speaking. I don't know how many people were there on the mall, but hundreds of thousands of people. I talked to a friend of mine who was there with her two daughters and two grandchildren in, in strollers, okay? And she said it was yeah. a typical Trump event, happy, friendly, cheerful, totally peaceful. And while Trump is still speaking and he's giving this totally nonviolent talk and hundreds of thousands of people are still listening to him, another group of people are now launching their assault on the Capitol. Who are those people? Well, I don't know. I mean, some people say there were Antifa people among them. I'm not sure if that's true. But I'll tell you this. They were not, you know, typical Republicans. Who's the weirdo with the bizarre costume and the horns? You know, I mean, yeah. you know, that was that was a totally different group of 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 people who are by no means, you know, mainstream Republicans or mainstream Trump supporters. And they don't speak for anybody. They don't speak for you, me, for Trump, for Republicans or anybody else. And trying to blame the actions of that little handful of people on on Donald Trump or on the party generally is outrageous. And the sad thing is yeah. that we're so lacking in in either politicians or pundits, you know, out in Washington, who are willing to just say this is BS. You know, you're making it up. You're lying. Trump did not incite violence. You're wrong. Yeah. And instead, everybody's yeah. kind of genuflecting and apologizing. I just say my idea of apology is the middle finger. That, but that's <laughs> that, <Yeah>, right. <laughs> okay, Doctor, real quick because we got about three minutes left. You mentioned the bubble. Tell us quickly about the bubble that that you see from your perspective. Oh, I think it. I think it's well established. You know, people in the press and and in the government. Both the bureaucracy and and elected and appointed, they all go to the same cocktail parties. They go to the same restaurants. They go to the same uh, uh, ball games. They have the, the seats in the uh, what used to be the Redskins or now the <laughs> now the the Washington football team. Uh, you know, they, they these people all know each other and they all talk and they talk to each other and they convince each other that uh, that they all, since they agree on something that everybody else must agree on, it's pretty obvious, and therefore uh, they just they just proceed accordingly. And and it 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 it, it, it it's it's not it's not true. Uh, you, you go you know ten miles outside of uh, outside of the Beltway, and you find a whole different uh, uh, yeah. a whole different scenario, but. But uh, these people are, you know, they're and it's the New York and Washington axis. They all go the same. They all yeah. fraternize together. Yeah, that's the bubble. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. That's the bubble because it's. Like I say, I, I feel. Like I say, you know, I love National Review as an institute. I've got uh, friends of mine. I, I can tell you, like Ramesh, Lamero, I knew this kid when he was in high school. I mean, he, hmm. you know, that's all, you know. In fact, my good friend Richard Nadler was the one who got him, you know, his start in you know journalism and in uh, made the contacts in National Review. So, and I'm like, I'm just disappointed in this. So, all right, okay. Well, I'll tell you what. I want to just real quick 
uh, before we head off to the resistance hour with Dr. Larry and Tom, uh, tell people where they can contact, uh, find out information about the Center for American Experiment. AmericanExperiment.org is the website. We have a brand new website in the works, by the way. It'll be unveiled in the next month or so. But go to AmericanExperiment.org. It's all right there. Well, thank you very much. This is Tom Donaldson uh, here on the Donaldson Files on the Bachelor News Radio Network saying good night, America. Trumpet, you know it's the Resistance Hour with Dr. Larry and Tom Donaldson, and I'm Dr. Larry Fidewa. We are one of your hosts for the evening, and uh, let me uh, also uh, uh, give my uh, co-host Tom uh, Donaldson a chance to say hello, and then we'll get down to business. Hello, everybody. Once uh, once again to the Resistance Hour where truth, justice, and the American way will still be defended here. <laughs> we're still uh, not too sure what we're resisting, but we're, <laughs> we're hard at it. And our guest for the evening is a, a very uh, distinguished and uh, experienced uh, person uh, for the, uh, in, in the entire uh, political and, 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 uh, Republican establishment for many years, and uh, now is uh, is free to tell us he's he's in his retiring mode, and he's free to tell us whatever he thinks, <laughs> which he's been doing anyway. And it's Bob Livingston, and Bob, welcome to the Resistance Hour. Well, thank you, Larry. Thank you, uh, Tom. It's good to be back with you guys uh, in your new format. I'm. I'm, I'm uh, I'm uh, fresh off of uh, about a COVID from for the Christmas holidays. It's not the best way to spend Christmas, but my wife and I are doing fine, and uh, we're back at it, back in D.C. And unfortunately, uh, we were looking forward to a, a bright, near, new, happy new year, but it hasn't started very well, has it? No, it hasn't. But, boy, uh, congratulations on being a uh, COVID survivor. Uh, that, that really is... Uh, you know, a lot of people uh, in in a, of a certain age are not uh, not not uh, so lucky. Well, I'm I'm certainly of that age. <laughs> I uh, <laughs> we're 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 we're, we're uh, looking. Uh, well, heck, we're almost octogenarians, so uh, I think we're probably pretty lucky. But uh, I, unfortunately, I've known people that haven't been quite so lucky, and I guess it's just because we're too dumb to be. Uh, uh, in jeopardy. <laughs> did you did you uh, have a lot of suffering, or was it pretty simple? 
No, no. Actually, uh, uh, Bonnie, my wife, uh, had a, a mild case of it and lasted about a week and a half. Uh, and she recovered fairly quickly without too much problem. I, I had a respiratory uh, issue that may crop up from time to time in the next uh, hour. Uh, but uh, it, we never had fever, and we never had a, a oxygen deprivation, and I think those are the things that uh, they really worry about. Oh, well, that's, that's, that's good to hear. Well, we're sure glad you, uh, we're sure glad you are feeling better. Um, and Tom and I have been talking a lot about <clears throat> this whole issue of, uh, you know, there's, there's the sort of, there's, there's two tracks that you can, uh, kind of, uh, think about when you think about the, the Trump years, you can think about the man himself and, and his very charismatic, uh, uh, appeal to so many millions of people, uh, but then you. The other thing is his what I call it the the Trump, the Trump doctrine, that namely all the things that he did that were so uh, uh, useful and so helpful to. And so it was like uh, like you said one time, Bob. You said it was like divine providence that he was he was uh, became the president. Um, and and I'm very one you know very concerned that no matter what happens to Mr. Trump personally, uh, that we are able to maintain that that uh, Trump doctrine as a viable political position uh, that people will actually uh, continue to think about and develop. And I'm really anxious to hear what you uh, what your th- thoughts about that are. Well, I think it's a good point, Larry. Uh, the fact is, <clears throat> President Trump uh, was was not a, an experienced politician; had no uh, political background whatsoever. In fact, when he came in, nobody really knew what he was going to do. But his instincts as a businessman uh, came to the fore and and made him really uh, one of the most successful presidents of, uh, of the last 150 years. Uh, his foreign policy was exceptional. Uh, and uh, we are the beneficiary of uh, all of the, the what, uh, four peace treaties, maybe, maybe five, uh, between uh, the hardcore Middle East uh, and, and Israel. That, that's uh, a miracle. We, uh, yeah, he held off... Uh, North Korea, who was sent, uh, Kim Jong Un was uh, sending up missiles on a regular basis, uh, even during the Obama administration, uh, and uh, he, he short, stopped shortly after that when he realized uh, that he was up against a totally different adversary. Uh, Russia and China have become uh, continued to be problematic. China, perhaps more so, far more so than Russia. Uh, but uh, Trump had their number, and uh, they didn't. Uh, uh, they didn't want to take advantage of him. <clears throat> we can come back to whether or not they're going to do that with the incoming president. Uh, and then, uh, of course, Iran. He took a totally different uh, position from uh, Obama. Uh, he uh, uh, he retreated from the. Uh, the, that misbegotten uh, treaty, agreement wasn't a treaty in which uh, the government, uh, uh, the Obama administration, paid off billions of dollars to the uh, Ayatollah's minions. Uh, 
and, uh, and, and cash, yeah, and, and not just American dollars, but in various other currencies. Just absolutely incredibly mindless. Uh, so Trump's foreign policy was absolutely on the nose. He withdrew from the, uh, the worthless uh, climate change thing that would have done nothing but cost the American taxpayer and uh, may well do so again if, Obama, if uh, Biden uh, jumps into it again. Uh, so foreign policy, he, he, he was on the money. In domestic policy, what did he do? He, he created the best economy uh, for the most number of people ever in the history of this country, uh, ever in the history of the world. Uh, black unemployment was, was an all-time low. Uh, Hispanic, uh, Asian unemployment, all-time low. The uh, uh, <clears throat> general economy was booming until the Chinese hit us with the Wuhan virus. And then uh, everything went to hell, and, and uh, that played right into the hands of the Democrats. And now they've, uh, they've got control of everything. I won't say yeah. that it, it wasn't uh, partially brought on. Uh, the, 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 the changes that we're now looking at weren't par, partially brought on by the president himself. His own ego, his own uh, lack of uh, uh, personal discipline, I think, caused – well, he gave the, the Democrats a weapon, and uh, they used it skillfully. And now they've, they've won Georgia's two seats in the Senate, and uh, uh, President Elect Biden will soon be President Biden. So what's going to happen to all those good ideas? I don't know. I'm hoping that Republicans will regroup. Uh, I don't think we can regroup for the next four to six months under uh, former President Trump. Um, We need some leaders in Congress to stand up and take the program, take the format, and convince the American people that they were the right direction. In the meantime, President uh, Biden, excuse me, uh, President Biden is going to uh, uh, have a minor control of the House and Senate, and if he can lead them to do what the Democrats have threatened, if they'd end up uh, breaking the filibuster and uh, making uh, D.C. A, a state, Puerto Rico a state, then the Democrats are going to be in control for a long time, and we're going to be faced with some pretty, really difficult problems. Yeah. Well, hold that, hold that thought. Uh, this is the uh, resistance <laughs> hour with with uh, Dr. Larry and Tom, and uh, you're listening to the Bachelor News Radio Network. If you want real discussions on politics, social issues, racial issues, and other topics, then tune into the Bachelor News Radio Show. Listen live every Monday and Thursday from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Eastern at blogtalkradio.com. And if you miss the show, you can listen every Monday through Saturday at 8 a.m. and 3 p.m. Eastern and every Sunday at 5 a.m. and 3 p.m. at thebachelornews.airtime.pro. Listen and be informed. Join Barry Barnes for Locker Talk on the Bachelor Pad Network as he presents NFL news and evaluates players. Fridays at 9 a.m. Eastern 
at blogtalkradio.com. Welcome back to the Resistance Hour with Dr. Larry and Tom Donaldson. Uh, we're talking to uh, Bob Livingston and uh, Tom. Uh, you want to I, yeah, uh, I, get in here? Yeah, I got. I, yeah, I, I got two questions for Bob. Uh, first question, Bob, you you brought up the, the the Paris Climate Change Accord. Now, why? I guess my question would be is this. Should Mitch McConnell insist that if we're going to get into this, that it be submitted as a treaty with a yes or no vote with the United States Senate basically consenting to it? Yeah, should he do that? Uh, well, first of all, it won't be Mitch. It'll be Schumer, I guess. But uh, Schumer, okay. it, I don't think it, it, it can't ever pass. I mean, you're not going to get two-thirds yeah. of the Senate uh, to adopt that thing. Uh, that's why it's it's going to have to be an accord, an agreement, an executive order, or whatever you call it. Uh, uh, but uh, no, I, I, Republicans have 50 seats. Uh, Democrats have 50 seats plus Kamala Harris. And uh, uh, there is no possible way that uh, that thing could ever become uh, a treaty uh, with with that makeup. I mean, if, if Democrats end up taking two-thirds of the Senate, well, sure, they could do it. Uh, yeah. So it's it's unenforceable to begin with. But the, look, I'm reading a little bit of history about the, the world. I'm, I'm looking at the book right now. It's a great book, uh, The Silk Roads by Peter Frankopan, uh, New History of the World. And, and the guy looks at it from kind of an economic viewpoint of the, of the shifts uh, in commerce between the East and the West uh, going back uh, well, 2,000 years. And uh, the point he makes very strongly is that in that time, you've had two major changes in climate. And there wasn't any United States out there throwing money at it to try to stop it. Uh, you have changes in climate. And it gets, sometimes it gets cold, and sometimes it gets hot, and sometimes uh, how do he do? He's right. He, he had his friend uh, Princess Summerfall Winter Spring. Uh, well, it's four seasons uh, in every year, uh, and uh, in, in, in northern part of the country it's colder, and the southern part of the country it's warmer generally. But then not always that way. And, and we're going to have climate change, and I don't care how much money that the new Biden administration chooses to throw it uh, at the global world uh, in hopes of redistributing wealth, uh, it, it's not going to change. We're going to have climate change, period. Okay, look, yeah. Well, here's my thing. Let me start this follow-up, though, Bob, because here's my thing. If you're going to base economic policy, you're going to say we got this agreement, accord, which is essentially you know, to be changed within the administration – you know, somewhere along the line, somebody has to challenge and say, wait a minute. You know, I'm thinking like Joe Manchin. Joe Manchin has got coal miners whose jobs are on the line, uh, just, to, just to name one. And, and is Joe Manchin prepared to sit back and allow President Biden to continue this and move this forward without insisting – that two-thirds of the Senate pass if we're going to base economic policies on this, and we're going to say, well, we got 
sign off to, you know, we have to do this economic policy because this court says we have to. I mean, somewhere along the line, that's a lot of power to be given to the president to sit back and say, ah, here, we're going to agree to this accord, and now we're going to change the economy because of it. Your thoughts? Well, my thoughts are simply that it's an excuse. Uh, The socialists are in control of of the Democrat Party, and they do want to redistribute wealth. Now, when it comes to the the Jack Dorseys of uh, Twitter uh, uh, and, and, and the guys at uh, Apple and and Facebook and so forth, Zuckerberg, uh, I don't care. I mean, they've got enough to re- be redistributed. Uh, but when it comes to everybody else, I don't want the Democrat Party reaching into my pocket or in the pockets of every struggling business uh, in, in the country. And there are a lot fewer of them today than there were a year ago. And, and telling us how uh, our money should be spent in the name of climate change. Uh, I, I just think it, it's an excuse uh, to raise taxes and to accomplish whatever goals they have for the global uh, uh, socialistic world. And, and uh, I'm vehemently against that, I mean, against any agreement. Now, uh, Joe Manchin, is he going to be the, the wall uh, to stop uh, uh, the socialists in, in the Congress simply because he's got coal miners. Well, it'd be nice to think that he might be, but he's already, he said, under no circumstances would he, two months ago he said, uh, that he would not uh, vote for the change in the filibuster, uh, repeal the filibuster, and that he didn't want D.C. Uh, to become a, a full state, giving them two more senators, and he didn't want uh, Puerto Rico to be a state. Uh, I just saw him on TV this weekend, and there was a lot of fudging in there. I think they're putting a lot of pressure on him. And I would not count on Joe Manchin uh, being uh, the guy that uh, stops the socialistic movement led by Bernie Sanders uh, in the uh, in the Democrat Party. The uh, fact is, they've, the, the socialists run uh, the Democrat Party, and uh, they've got an agenda. Uh, Bernie Sanders is in charge of the budget committee, and uh, and uh, AOC's New Green Deal uh, is the heart and soul of uh, many of the Democrats' uh, ideas of uh, ending fossil fuels and and changing this economy. But if they even approach that, if they pass any of it, uh, within our economy, which has really really prospered in the last uh, uh, four years under Trump by unleashing fracking and, and developing fossil fuels, could come to a screeching halt. So I think they've got some disastrous ideas that uh, put us in great danger. And I'm not going to count on Joe Manchin or any other single Democrat to stand in the way. Yeah. Now, let me ask you, I'm going to ask this question to both you and Dr. Larry. Okay. The original Iran deal, I mean, basically, instead of being submitted as a treaty, uh, there were enough Republicans who basically let uh, Obama off the hook by saying – I can't remember how they described it, but they made it like, okay, instead of voting it as a treaty, we'll say if two-thirds of them have to vote against this for this to, for this not to take impact. Why did Bob that happen? Corker. Why did they – That was, it was Bob, Bob Corker of Tennessee. He was uh, – Bob Corker came up with that invention – because he wanted to accommodate uh, Obama. Uh, he knew that uh, the climate thing would never uh, become 
uh, ratified as a treaty. And so he turned the Constitution on his head. And uh, I, I, I've met Corker, and he seems to be a, a fine gentleman. But uh, I, when you ask me why he did what he did, I can't explain it. Uh, because, uh, there, in fact, he, he persuaded every single one of the Republicans in the United States Senate uh, to support his, uh, his move with one exception. And that one exception was Tom Cotton of Arkansas. And Cotton says, you're turning the Constitution on its head. It takes two-thirds of the, of the members present to ratify a treaty. And in effect, you're saying now it's taken two-thirds to reject an agreement. And they didn't have two-thirds to reject the agreement, so it, be, it went forward. Uh, it was not a treaty. It was an agreement. Uh, and that's why Trump was able to overturn it. But uh, give Tom Cotton credit. He was absolutely on the money. I saw it at the time. I commended him on several occasions when I saw him after that. But Corker was dead wrong, and uh, it was a it was a terrible move and a terrible precedent for future actions. It probably may benefit uh, Biden in, uh, in with some of his initiatives and maybe that exact initiative in the next in the coming months. Bob, you 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 probably know uh, uh, our new president-elect, don't you? Uh, actually, I think individually. I've met him once. Oh, you only no, met him once? Yeah, we weren't on the same committees. Um, I mean, I, I was in the house. We're, so, we're actually he's four months older than I am, and yeah. uh, uh, we've our, our careers paralleled, but his was twice as long as mine. <laughs> yeah. And uh, uh, but uh, we we never served on the same committee, so I didn't really have much to, to do with him. I know uh, I knew a lot of the senators uh, with whom I worked back then, but it was because of committee work. So, what is your impression of the man? I mean, there's a lot of questions. I I must admit, I've called him the uh, uh, you know the the Manchurian candidate. Um, Going back to that uh, that movie where uh, he where the uh, the uh, communists were getting ready to take over the presidency through the uh, through this one uh, I I don't want to go through the whole thing but anyway basically they were saying that that they were going to own the uh, the American president uh, but well I I don't know I don't know the man and. Uh, I'd like to know what you think. Well, look, he's been in the press quite a bit, particularly in the last couple of years. Uh, I don't have to know him to know what the reports are in the press, uh, or at least the selective press that hasn't been squelched by CNN and and now the social media. But uh, both he and his son have made a lot of money uh, going to China Kazakhstan, Ukraine, uh, and Russia. It's it's amazing uh, how well they did when he was in in the position of vice president. If he takes that attitude and and gets protection from the press and the social media uh, throughout his presidency, uh, he's going to make a lot of money and and America's going to get screwed. Excuse my language. Uh, I'm... uh, 
I'm not optimistic, but I, I'm more convinced that he's because of his performance hiding in his basement, and I call him hiding Biden. Uh, that uh, I I just think even though he's 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 appeared to be more in control of himself in the last month than he had been before. Uh, some of his performances and uh, they're not gaffes. They're simply laps of cognitive uh, uh, ability. Uh, and uh, I just think that really the guy is, uh, is, is not going to finish the first year in office. Wow. Yeah, I know. There's been a lot of talk like that, but it just, uh, mm-hmm. boy, that would really be something, wouldn't it? Well, I mean, I mean it is. The American people voted for him. I, I'm yeah. not convinced in the full integrity of these elections, but I've, I've lost that argument, and so has Trump. <laughs> uh, so uh, we've got to deal with what we're going to deal, and he's going to be sworn in. And I, he, as president, I want us to respect the office. And, and give him uh, my best wishes for for this country, America. Uh, it's important that he, he succeed. But I'm fearful of his policies. I'm fearful of the socialistic agenda uh, that has been espoused by people around him. Uh, I don't think on the basis of his performances that he's fully aware of what his agenda is and that he's fully in control. I think other people will be controlling him. Uh, uh, and I'm, I'm not sure that it's Kamala Harris. Uh, I think, uh, uh, frankly, there, there are other folks. Uh, and when you look at the spokesman, Schumer and Nancy Pelosi, the speaker, uh, uh, that doesn't give me a lot of, a lot of encouragement. You think he's an honest man? I think that has yet to be determined. I'm not going to answer that. That has to be proven in court, and every person is innocent until proven guilty. Yeah. But let's just say where there's uh, there's smoke, there's often fire. You're listening to the doc to the uh, Resistance Hour with uh, Dr. Larry and uh, Tom Donaldson, and uh, this uh, the Bachelor News Radio Network dot com. Let's go, guys! Hey, did you guys know that kids who play sports earn more money when they grow up? Of course. I I knew that. Hey, did you guys know that kids who read books have a bigger vocabulary? Oh, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Mm-hmm. Wow, jinx. <laughs> did you guys know that friendly children have more friends? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. That's true. I knew that. Did you guys know that winter babies are better at music? Everyone knows that. Oh, yeah? yeah. Pretty obvious. Yeah, yeah. so yeah. obvious. Oh, hey, guys, did you know that most people think they're using the right car seat for their kid, but they're not? Huh, I didn't know that. I'm pretty sure I knew that. I'm pretty sure you didn't. Parents who really know it all know for sure that their child is in the right car seat at the right age and size. 
Visit safercar.gov slash the right seat to make sure your child is protected. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. Since Buffalo Wild Wings is always open late, here are a few things you'll enjoy. Buzzer beaters, wings in 21 signature sauces and seasonings, and great deals on food and beer. Grab select domestic draft beers starting at $4. $4 shareables like street tacos, fried pickles, chili queso dip, mozzarella sticks, and roasted garlic mushrooms, and deals on select liquor and house cocktails. Phew, that's a mouthful. Catch all of the late night action. Buffalo Wild Wings. Wings, beer, sports. Offers and participation vary. Please drink responsibly. Void where prohibited. Since Buffalo Wild Wings is always open late, here are... Okay, we're, we're back here on the doctor uh, on the resistance hour with Dr. Larry and Tom. And uh, and we're talking about Bob uh, Livingston. Hey, Bob, I got a question here for you. I got You made a statement. And the statement that you made was, okay, we wish that Joe Biden succeed. And the question I'm going to ask you is this. Yeah, the question I'm going to ask you is this. If this guy's agenda is that bad, why should we wish him success in passing his agenda? Well, for the good of America, we, we always have to wish the president well. Uh, yeah. I, I'm not wishing that he succeed. I didn't. I don't think I said that the, he succeeded yeah. his agenda. I certainly didn't mean that. Yes. Yeah. Uh, okay. I, I want. I want America to prosper. Uh, I think with the agenda that he uh, espouses, and actually he really hasn't. The people around him have espoused. Uh, I think it's a disaster waiting to happen, and I think we could be in terrible, terrible condition. And I think we could possibly even end up in a one-party situation where the Democrat Party is the sole uh, authority and the Republican Party is confined to the annals of history. Uh, What's happening in social media with uh, blocking out one side of the argument, uh, only letting through uh, what uh, they deem acceptable, is is a great threat. I mean, that's basically what uh, uh, the Soviet Union employed through Pravda and and uh, what Nazi Germany uh, used with, uh, through Goebbels and and uh, uh, control of uh, uh, their, in, in the message and the media, uh, disparaging everything else. I just really think that we need to find out exactly what the Democrats want. And we and, and and we as Republicans in the loyal resistance, unlike what they employed for four years under Donald Trump, because they weren't so loyal, and, and, and they're as we speak they're impeaching him for the second time. I, I think that's obscene. Anyway, uh, uh, Donald Trump's going to be gone in, in just a week uh, from when we're talking, and and then. Uh, Biden's going to be president And he's got an agenda Do I wish him success in the agenda That his people have espoused? No uh, Do I think that uh, we need to get rid of fossil fuels? No Do I think we need to get rid of the filibuster in the Senate? No Do I think uh, we need to uh, make uh, the District of Columbia a state? No So that's that's just an agenda But they want to They've talked about packing the courts, the Supreme Court, so that they outvote all the good people that uh, Trump managed to get on uh, on the court uh, to date, which was one of his greatest accomplishments. 
and and on the other courts. Uh, I don't want them to succeed on that at all. Uh, but I have to hope that some people with common sense in the Democrat Party are going to rise to the fore, and they're just they're just going to say that uh, we don't uh, we don't want this uh, radical agenda to pass. And in fact, because the Senate is so narrowly divided, 50-50 plus one, uh, the chances are that that they won't. And the best thing that could happen, frankly, is 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 as little as possible, and then Republicans could uh, take back uh, the House and the Senate in two years. Uh, if that is on the table, and if that's possible, then I'm all for it. Now, okay, let's go back to uh, Tom Cotton. You mentioned Tom Cotton. What other young Republicans impress you, both either like on a, on a gubernatorial side of the equation, or let's say within Capitol Hill? And I'm talking about, let's say, people who may be potential candidates for 2024. But you know, it seems like to me we got a pretty good, solid bench of candidates ready to come forward. You, know, you mentioned Tom. Well, Cotton. who else impresses you? We, we we actually control a majority of the state legislature houses. Uh, we can control a, a majority of the uh, uh, gubernatorial uh, uh, seats. Um, so yes, we we've got a, a much better base than they do, but they now have the president to be the uh, uh, narrow majority in the uh, in the Senate and the narrow majority in the House. Uh, your question really is one that I I can't answer, uh, but it's one that I posed to uh, some friends in the Congress just the other day and saying we got to have somebody step up. Now they could be. It could be Kevin McCarthy. I'm not sure, but uh, he's he's the erstwhile future speaker if uh, Nancy Pelosi goes by the wayside uh, or not. Steve Scalise is a terrific guy. He's the guy that got shot. He's the guy that took my seat in Congress uh, and uh, is is uh, the number three guy, number three, no, number two guy in the uh, among Republicans in the House. Uh, he could, he, but whoever it is has to have a presence. I'll tell you a guy who has presence and I don't know that much about him is Dan Crenshaw of Texas, uh, former special forces uh, guy. And, uh, he, he's, he, he inspires confidence. Uh, but I don't know, I don't know him well enough. I've only met him once and I, uh, but he, he, he looks like a future leader. Uh, in the Congress, you've got you got a, a guy named Tony Anthony Gonzalez out of Ohio, who's a former NFL player, very impressive guy. Uh, you got uh, a bunch of folks from the uh, who have military experience uh, who uh, are rising to the top now in the House, uh, in the Senate, where the average age is my age. Uh, you got you got a lot of there's going to be a big turnover. Uh, within the next uh, two to four years in the Senate among Republicans and Democrats. So uh, those folks, they're just old. <laughs> I'm not sure that they're going to many, – too many of them are, are going to be uh, of leadership quality. I mean, clearly Ted Cruz is, is one of the most brilliant uh, lawyers in the Senate, but I don't know that that is going to grab the attention of uh, the American people. Uh, uh, Tom Cotton, likewise, 
who has a military background. But I, I, you need Donald Trump was a package, and with all of the the good, you had uh, an ego in there that that really hurt him badly in the in the end. But he he had the ability to talk to Joe Sixpack. He had the ability to reach out to the average worker, regardless of their ethnicity, black, brown, uh, Hispanic, uh, Asian. Uh, I, I have a, a Vietnamese friend uh, who tells who swe- in Vietnam, who swears all of Vietnam loved Donald Trump and the Vietnamese community in California. Loved Donald Trump. The Vietnamese Committee in Louisiana loved Donald Trump. Uh, likewise, uh, uh, a Ukrainian friend, Ukrainian-American friend, uh, tells me that Ukrainians love Donald Trump. Well, that's not easy to replace. And I just don't know anybody who, uh, primarily because when Trump grew up, he grew up wealthy, but he grew up in, uh, what was it, Queens, uh, yeah. he, and his dad made him work in the construction industry. He yeah. knew, he knew workers. He knew what their outlook was, and that was his outlook. And he could pitch to them. And you can't, you just can't find some guy who, or, or woman, who grows up in a, with, with a silver spoon and and with a law background and and so forth, who who can easily identify with the needs of the uh, average worker. And until we find that person to recreate what Trump built, uh, it's going to be a, it's going to be a lonely time. Well, the guys that are stepping forward at the moment, uh, are people like, uh, Newt Gingrich and, uh, and, uh, to a little lesser extent, maybe, uh, Mike Huckabee, I mean, people that are well known already, but they're you know they're 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 your age, and they're not going to be they're not going to be able to sustain the momentum of of the party for much longer. No, that's uh, that's right, and both of them both of them are extremely eloquent and uh, and, and very thoughtful. Uh, Mike Huckabee, of course, being former governor of Arkansas. And a, a former minister has the ability to reach out and convince people uh, with a, with a great deal of humor. Newt, uh, being the old uh, uh, history professor, uh, can give a fifty minute speech uh, on uh, on the drop of a hat, uh, and he uh, he is exactly my age. Uh, <clears throat> so, no, those guys are great, but no, we need we need guys, uh, men or women. Uh, in their 30s and 40s, who are going to step up? Uh, you got uh, there's a young lady uh, from New York who uh, uh, captured the press attention last year, and, and the Democrats did everything they could to beat her, but they couldn't do it. And that's Elise Stefanik. She's very impressive, uh, and uh, has uh, you know it, it may be a woman, uh, a la Maggie Thatcher, who who steps up and captured uh, captures the uh, uh, interest of the, of the folks. I thought maybe uh, uh, Liz Cheney might be one, but uh, oh, <laughs> I man, think uh, the last couple of days with Liz Cheney might yeah. have uh, ended that possibility. Yeah. Well, you know, here's some of the people I've been impressed with. 
is I, you know, Christy Nome. I love Christy Nome. Uh, Me too. And she's been, and, and my, and what I'm looking for to me, to be honest with you, is not just you know, is, you know, the guy, you know, it's not just being able to go to Joe Sixpack, but be able to fight, you know, and accept the fact that a the media is not on your side, so don't try to be friends with them because it's not going to work. Just fight, fight for those principles. And you know, Ron DeSantis is to me one guy I've been totally impressed with. I think he's Who? the best. It be. Uh, Ron DeSantis, uh, the Florida governor. Oh, oh DeSantis. Yeah, 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 right. Well, you're pro- you're saying it's right, yeah. but uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, yeah. He's uh, but, he, he's uh, he's he's he doesn't have any great uh, uh, sh- uh, showcase. He just does it all right, and he, he yeah. he's got an impressive background. He's got a Harvard degree, and uh, he's a very bright guy. Yeah. But I. Uh, I I met him met the guy and well, when he was in Congress uh, he didn't really ring my bell but uh, I have been extremely <laughs> impressed uh, when with him as yeah. the governor of Florida. Yeah, I guess I've been like I say mainly because I've seen this guy in action, and I know we're running up. Uh, I know Doctor Larry's about to tell me that I've got about thirty seconds before he puts us on a break, uh, but. I, I I said I'll wait till after the break. Uh, go ahead, Doctor Larry. Do your thing. You're listening to the doctor to the uh, Resistance Hour with uh, Tom, Doctor Larry, and Tom Donaldson, and uh, the uh, and and we got the uh, the. Uh, <laughs> BachelorNewsRadioNetwork.com Donaldson Pop presents talk radio like you've never heard it before on the Bachelor News Radio Network. We go live every Tuesday and Wednesday on this network, 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Go to TheBachelorNews.Airtime.Pro We are on the cutting edge and we are ahead of the curve on what is happening while the media tries to catch up. We talk issues from right to left. Once a month, we have Ladies Night, where we talk relationship in the 21st century and nothing is off limits or taboo. Donaldson Files on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Network. Yeah. You're listening to the. Yeah, the so uh, go ahead, Tom. <laughs> yeah, we're listening to the, uh, the Resistance <laughs> Hour, Dr. Larry and Tom, here on the Bachelor <laughs> News Radio Network. If you got any comments or you just want to call and say, Dr. Larry, you're the greatest, 646 929 0130. He's the greatest, except when his wife gets uh, get, diverts his attention. And he can't remember what he's talking about. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, okay, yeah, like I said, Christy and Ron. I mean, like I said, those are the reason why I like both those people because when they get confronted, they don't shrink; they fight back. I mean, I, I've watched this water governor. You know, they'll. You know, these media people say, well, you did this wrong in COVID. And he'll sit back and say, and I remember one time watching him just simply say, you know, just list a group of studies. And then say, no, I didn't get it right. You got it wrong. I got it right, and you got yeah. it wrong. But and he, he, he doesn't hesitate what, to they yeah, doesn't hesitate yeah. to and, fight back at the press. And that's, that's one of the and, reasons that Trump uh, was so popular. So I agree yeah. with you. And that's what, but that's what you need to do. I mean, to sit back and say, hey, look. You know, because that tells me confidence. That tells me I 
I'm on the right path, and I'm not shrinking from that. And, and, now, I love Marco Rubio, but my problem with Marco Rubio is that I don't view him as as tough as his governor or a Christy Nome or even a Josh Hawley. I mean, these are people who are willing to take the fire, you know, take the bullets, and they fight. I back. agree with you. And and Rand Paul. And that's and Rand Paul, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and, and that's the thing. These are guys who fight back, and that's what you're going to need over the next four years. You're going to need people. Well, it, it takes a, it takes a full package. It takes a full package, yeah. and you got to be able to fight back. Yeah. But I think you're right. I, I get back to the Senate. I mean, the average age is probably seventy uh, in the Senate uh, among Republicans, um, and that's that's not very good. But among the uh, young rep- uh, governors around the country, like Christy you know, and others, we've, we've and DeSantis. Uh, we've got uh, uh, young people that can reach out, and uh, and maybe that's where our next uh, uh, leadership comes from is uh, from somebody like that yeah. uh, who's already been uh, who's got a, a stage, who's got a platform, and has performed uh, as, as a governor. Uh, that that is more likely, I think, yeah. uh, perhaps from the Senate Tradition- or the House. Traditionally, that's that's where a lot of our uh, a lot of the presidents have come from, you know, Reagan and uh, Carter and uh, Bush and the. Uh, well, that's right. In fact, most of uh, we we had. I, I think uh, statistically, there probably been relatively few senators who have gone like uh, like Biden did. Uh, and I think if you look at Biden's race over the last year, first of all, he's hiding in his basement from uh, uh, from the uh, COVID. Uh, and I've got nothing against uh, withdrawing from COVID. I, I wouldn't wish it on anybody. I'd, now that I've had it, I don't want it again. Uh, but uh, it was the strangest presidential campaign I've ever seen. Trump was out there every day talking to the press every day, constantly, every day, every minute. And uh, Biden gave about three press conferences a week, and uh, only when they could pry him out with a can opener out of his basement, uh, put his mask on, and, and come up and talk to a parking lot of about 12 cars. Uh, I, I just don't understand how that how he could have won. I mean, I really, I, it's, it's unimaginable to me. And he got 20 million votes ostensibly, more than Obama. So that doesn't make any sense to me at all. I mean, I, I just don't think uh, it figures, and I think I'm speaking for it ain't true. a large majority of, of Trump supporters. And there were 70 million people who voted for Trump, and uh, supposedly 80 million people that voted for Biden. And uh, I, I, I just don't believe it. I, I have a hard time believing it. Well, I believe that at least most of the Biden voters were alive when they voted. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well that's, that's yeah, the other thing. Uh, you know the old adage. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, you know, when, when I die, I, I, when I die, I want to vote Republican. Well, I vote Republican now, but when I die, I leave my vote to my Democrat precinct captain. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I'm always reminded. I had a nun once say to me, "If you don't believe in a resurrection, watch an election in Chicago." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, 
a lot of people don't believe that. A lot of people are right with you on that, uh, Bob. And those, if you listen to some of these people talk, they are just saying, you know, we've had it. We're not, you know, we've been listening to uh, Washington now for our our whole lives, and nobody ever talked to us before. And now uh, the guy that talked to us has been uh, uh, ramrodded all over the place, and uh, and we just don't want to take. We're not going to take it anymore. And you know that there's there's a lot of that that kind of atmosphere. And if, if well, it, it's if you not look at healthy. history, then that says that you know you get you get too many people that are. Then, then you get the the the, the Dems that are uh, going to start punishing people that were associated with the Trump uh, 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 story. Boy, oh boy, we got we got a hot hot situation. I think, well, Larry, we we do indeed. Uh, it's a it, it's it's troublesome, and and one would think that. The Democrats would stop. They won. So step back and cool it, and don't don't push the impeachment of Trump on his last week of office. That's not going anywhere. They're not going to convict him in the in the Senate. It's just going to be another waste of time. Uh, the, the social media, they think they're on top now by suppressing conservative votes and, and conservative talk and thought, uh, but that that can't last. That can't last. And but whenever I think about this, I. The events of the last week, I've got to say, were intolerable. Uh, I mean, certain people went there determined to make trouble. I personally don't think they were Republicans. I've been to a lot of Republican rallies, and people couldn't have been more peaceful. Uh, and then you had the Antifa types, and you had the, the BLM types uh, who, who, who tried to turn it into uh, open street brawls. Uh, but there may have been some other folks there last week on the 6th that planted I mean I know two people planted pipe bombs one of the Democrat quarters and the one of the Republican quarters uh, the people that went into that capital uh, they weren't peaceful uh, that was rioting and they need to be dealt with but so too do the people last summer uh, with Antifa and, and BLM who burned down buildings and destroyed businesses and put people out of work uh uh, we need to be fair. Violence is violence, and it needs to be treated equally. And and for the social media to, to just blame conservative thought and, and shut it down and not shut down uh, the people on the Democrat side, uh, that that doesn't help anything. That's just pouring, pouring gasoline on the fire. Well, what I what I think is that if you if you suppress people enough and you start you, you and especially in a culture like ours which uh, is really grounded on personal freedom and then you start trying to take that away and as as we've already seen the big business is trying to do that and and frankly i think that a lot of the uh state uh Vote counters have already done it. Uh, the people eventually are going to say, "Wait a minute, what have we got to lose? We're already losing. We're, we might as well go out and see what we're going to see what we can accomplish." And 
and the difference between insurrection and what we saw on uh, last Wednesday is that the people that came came to that uh, into that uh, mob situation were not armed. But if if you had an insurrection, they'd have been armed. And I well, I, we, I think there's going to be we some of that. We have a great system. We have a great system that, uh, by its very nature, uh, provides for checks and balances against anybody with too much power. But yeah, but you have to have uh, the, you right. have to have you the have vote have, to do it. it. You have to have consensus. You've got to have it. It, it takes two sides uh, to. Uh, uh, to reach a, a, a compromise, and and this nation has been built on compromise uh, for, throughout its entire history, with the exception of the Civil War, when all compromise broke down. We don't need that again, uh, and uh, I do think that there are some in the Democrat Party uh, who don't care, uh, who who are willing to uh, just press as hard as they can for any advantage. And if they press too hard, then there's going to be a reaction, just like you're talking about. Yeah, that's what, that. I just wish, you know, I I keep thinking somebody in the Democrat Party ought to be. They they, they talk so much about reconciliation and unity, and we all need to get together. And, and then they punk. then they come out and get so punitive and and nasty and, and oh lordy. That is not the way to build build a uh, United uh, States of America. Well, well the, uh, Biden way. himself, uh, Biden, yeah. Biden, on one hand, so talks about unity, and the next thing he's talking about how horrible Trump is, and then yeah. Nancy Pelosi impeaches uh, Trump, uh, and uh, for for a speech that uh, is highly speculative. Uh, I don't think Trump said the right stuff last week when I heard his speech. I said, "Oh, I hope nobody's hurt." Well, somebody was hurt. A lot of people were hurt, and uh, so Trump made him a big mistake. But yeah, I agree, I agree with uh, that. Not impeaching him with a, an exercise that's going nowhere as the last function is not exactly the promotion of unity. But when you start taking away people's right to uh, get on Facebook, and then you start, you know, you, right. that could be just the beginning. Yeah, well, I agree with you. You got the guy. No, I've from, read. Uh, I, I've read uh, Kafka and Father uh, uh, Kessler and, and Animal Farm and Orwell. Uh, you read those books and you realize Big Brother isn't too far away, uh, and uh, the the digital companies that are doing what they're doing right now are creating an atmosphere that, frankly, can be. Ex- Extremely oppressive if they don't turn around and see the light of day, and, they, and if they uh, if they go unchecked. And I, I really think Trump was right. He he wanted to uh, invoke that Section 230, which made allowed them to be sued. They have immunity from lawsuits, and uh, uh, it was done ten years ago um, by uh, Senator Ron Wyden and. and uh, 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 Portman of Ohio, Republican. Uh, they put in that provision that says that they can't uh, uh, be sued. Uh, well, that looked that was okay because they were competing with the cable companies, which were deemed to be too strong way back then. But now these social media companies are 
are uh, they're bigger than any governments. I mean, they have capitalization. The people that run them are the richest people in the world. And uh, unless they're checked somehow, uh, they are, in effect, a collective of Big Brother. And we're in trouble unless we get them under control. And, and our chances of doing that are not really too great. Well, yeah. not right now. Well, actually, not right now. Not right now. But you know what? We had that. Uh, Dr. Larry was talking about. We had a chance to talk to John Hinderacker of the Center for American Experiment, and he came up with some pretty good ideas of how to deal with uh, the super, you know, the oligarch, the tech oligarchies. And he made the observation that you. You can almost work a lot of this on a state level by basically having what he would say a freedom of speech on social media and pass it on a statewide basis. If you know, if you're in my state, you know, social media, you have to have, you know, an abundant, you know, you have to have free speech or allow people their freedom of speech. I know it's kind of an interesting concept, and I know he's he and others have been working on that particular concept. And that's why it's a good I, idea. And you made it's it, a good idea. And, and it, yeah. And the other, because it's going to play, because I really certainly think that in the end, it's going to be the governors who may have to be the bulwark uh, by taking state actions. And if possible, and if worse, you know, and if need be, sue the federal government to make sure that certain things don't get done, or let's say that our freedom are preserved. Because I really do think that it's. Uh, if you know we got a lot of Republican governors out there, and it's that moment where they can basically ensure our freedom by making themselves a laboratory of freedom, and then challenging the federal government to come after them. I agree with that. I uh, I, I, I really hadn't given it much thought, but I think you're absolutely right. I think the, uh, uh, the I know the state's attorneys general. Uh, particularly the return, Republican attorneys general around the, the uh, country are uh, have been ramping up and have been uh, more and more likely to take on the government. And so, uh, uh, yeah, the, the, the federal government will have a hard time uh, beating down some of these governors and these attorneys general. So uh, maybe that's where it's got to come from. And if, if, if yeah. we get a movement from them, to overturn uh, the uh, uh, the power of the social media, then that in itself can become the catalyst for uh, the next president, Republican president of the United States. Yeah. Uh, before we, we got a couple of minutes left, and uh, uh, before we do, Bob, you got a book. You you published a book a couple of years ago, The Windmill Chaser. Why don't you tell people about the book and how they can get a hold of it? Well, thank you, Tom. I, I hate to say, but it's on Amazon. Uh, it was published by uh, uh, the University of uh, uh, Central Louisiana uh, in Lafayette, uh, and you can get it through them, too. Uh, it's uh, uh, basically a, a book of my rise and uh, ultimate uh, uh, ending in politics. Uh, I was there culminating in the, in the impeachment of uh, uh, President uh, Clinton, uh, but it's it's a fun book. A, a, I tried to keep it light and keep it uh, funny, but it's also uh, I tried to be informative about the way the legislative process should work and hasn't worked in the last few years. 
I, I, I will say that that's a fault of both Republicans and Democrats. But uh, when I went through, we had fun. We had a lot of fun. I worked. I had I worked closely with Democrats and Republicans, and everybody got along with political differences. But we we, we weren't enemies. Today, it's a different situation. And uh, so, if anybody wants a contrast with the way uh, Congress worked in the past and when it did work and got stuff done, by, by the way, I was the last chairman of the Appropriations Committee to actually balance the discretionary budget of the. Uh, country, uh, and we did it with the help of earmarks to entice people to uh, vote for appropriations bills that otherwise they, they wouldn't and haven't voted for. Uh, but we balanced the budget, and uh, that's the last time. That was 21 years ago. By the way, just short note: uh, the uh, debt of the country for the entire history of the country when I left in 1999 was five trillion dollars. The debt in the last 21 years has grown to 27, maybe 28 trillion dollars. Uh, it's it's quintupled. And uh, well, let that's me not jump in sign. here and, and endorse that the uh, the windmill chaser. I read the book, and uh, in fact, I even gave you a review on it. It it is fascinating, fascinating. We we Thank have you. a real we have a real uh, interesting person here, Tom, and uh, we've seen that tonight. And yeah. we want to thank uh, thank, you. Uh, yeah. thank you thank you for coming on and and uh, sharing your wisdom with us, Tom, uh, Bob. And uh, this is uh, Dr. Larry Fidoa saying good night and God bless America. Amen.